and welcome to Pod on the Dog, episode 23. This podcast is brought to you by Natural Instinct. Now, did you know that the meat in Natural Instinct is all British from British farms and they only use the freshest fruits and vegetables in their food to create a super healthy raw diet for your dog as nature intended? You are what you eat right and this applies to your dogs too. Now, enter the discount code BROTY15 at the checkout to receive 15% off. Now, I'm your host, Brody Harcastle, and you can find me at Brody Harcastle on Instagram to follow all the latest shenanigans in dogdom. So, joining me this week is a man residing in far sunnier climates than myself. I'm actually saying this with a pinch of jealousy. Although I knew about this talent before, I actually first met him when I travelled to Hershey to compete about um, five years ago. Now, I would be enjoying my morning Philly bagel, because I was obviously in Philadelphia, in the hotel cafe, and I actually clocked him across the room. Although I don't actually think he had a clue who I was, being a Brit, hedging my bets across, <laughs> across the pond. He's well known for his love of the beaver terrier. He's a celebrity stylist and someone who's also stood in front of the bright lights of TV. Now, let's say he is the charismatic king of the canine coiffeur. Joining me all the way from Florida, it's Jonathan David. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Hello, so much for talking to me today hi <laughs> what an introduction i love it <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i like to do a good intro now obviously i love to ask everybody this question but what's your journey how did it all begin and what's your path to where you are now oh my journey i can tell you that when i was younger i had no intention on being a dog groomer in my entire life um i worked i always loved animals I always had a passion for it. And I got a job in a, in a pet store that sold puppies. And that's how I kind of learned about puppy mills and the horrors of all that. But yeah. there was a groomer there that I became friendly with. And she rented a small space there. And one of my tasks uh, for my job was to bathe and blow out the puppies. And sometimes I would trim their feet and their face just because they looked messy. Yeah. And the groomer said, you really have a knack for this. You should go to school for this. And I said, I don't want to be a groomer. I thought I was going to be a vet. That was actually my my intention, but I really cannot handle the sadness of that. So I, I didn't want to go down that route. So I thought, well, Mm. I love dogs and you know, it's, it's a, I'm a creative person. It was kind of a creative outlet. So I thought, well, I'll do it until I figure out what I'm going to do with my life. So I went to grooming school. I went to the Nash Academy, which is a very uh, well-known school here in the U S and I graduated and I started working in my small town doing, you know, pet grooming, And I really liked it. So I just kind of stuck with it. And then I moved to New York City when I was 21. And I discovered the New York City club scene and, you know, the wildlife of New York City. And I thought, well, I know how to groom dogs. So at least I know I can have a job to support my, you know, my journey. Yeah, my partying. (laughs) So I started working in the salon on the Upper East Side, which is a very wealthy area of Manhattan. And it was a whole different thing than I had ever been experienced in in small town, New Jersey, because here it was this really upscale boutique. And there was all these famous faces bringing their dogs in. And she was selling collars and leashes that were made Mm. out of, you know, like snake skin and alligator and all these really wild things for dogs and pet carriers and all these things I had never seen that were like really high end. And I thought, wow, there's a whole nother market in this that I didn't even realize. So I kind of stuck with it. And after a number of years, I decided to try competing. I hadn't gone to many shows in my life. And I went to Intergroom. It was my very first show. And I don't know if you know Intergroom, but it's, it, yeah. it was always an international pet grooming trade show. And I tried my hand at competing. 
And I looked at who had won the year before and what they did. And I thought, oh, I do this all the time. I'm going to win. So <laughs> I had my sister and my friends and I had all these people come and I was like, you guys come watch me win. In fact, funny story, <laughs> when I signed up, the, the owner at the time, her name was uh, Christine DiFilippo. And she said, um, when I signed up, she said, well, I look forward to meeting you. How will I know who you are? And I said, oh, just look for the guy winning. Oh, my and, gosh. I mean, that's how cocky I was, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. I was, you know, so full of shit. But so <laughs> um, I go there and I competed and I didn't win. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. No, 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 not even close. I didn't get a placement. And the judge came up to me and she was so honest with me. And I love her for this. And she said, you know, she said, your scissoring is the best in the class but your profile sucks. (laughs) I mean, she was so honest and she said, you have to study your breed profiles. And I realized I was a great pet groomer, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. not a great all around groomer. Mm -hmm. So I really studied and I honed my skills. I went to meet breeders and I, and I just, I put in all the work that everybody does. And I realized that I had kind of like grown so little over 14 years. And now I stepped into the ring and I thought I was this great, stylist. And I realized, oh my God, I'm starting right like from the beginning again of, of learning, but I had the skills. Came back the next year, won everything. Oh, amazing. Was like, this is it. I, I have the bug. Like I have to win again. Yeah. And that's where it started. So I started competing and then I had the opportunity to be a contestant on a reality show on Animal Planet called Groomer. Uh, Groomer has it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a very silly old, you know, it was, it was, we thought it was going to be like more more of the grooming that we were used to in competitions, but it was really kind of just obscure and fun. And it was meant to be an entertainment show, but um, I made it all the way to the end and I was runner up. And from that, I ended up um, getting asked to do another show on animal planet and some specials. And I did some morning shows on national television and it just sort of snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, okay, this is, this is my path. I'm going to make a career in the grooming industry, not just grooming dogs, but being a leader in the industry. I wanted to Mm -hmm. judge. I wanted to speak. I wanted to do all of it. And it just sort of unfolded from there. And I've had so many doors open and I've, I've gone down those paths and I'm, I'm always willing to, to step down. So many experiences as well. Yeah. And obviously you are, uh, you must've had a natural aptitude for talking. Otherwise they wouldn't have asked you to do that ABC show following the groomer has it and everything. So they obviously saw something in you that you were good at, you know, at talking. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's funny because when you go to, to be on a reality show, I, I don't know if anybody realizes what you go through to mm. be on a reality show, but they go, they, they fly a lot of people out and they narrow the, this large group down to, you know, the 10 or 12 contestants. And you have to go through interview after interview with producers and psychologists yeah. and all kinds of people. Cause they, first of all, they need to make sure you're not crazy and you're going to kill somebody in the house, you know? <laughs> um, but they ask you all kinds of questions and they narrow it down and they're really trying to see, you know, are you lively? Are you interesting? Are you someone that I want to, I want to listen to? And mm. even the producers of the network, you know, they're in on it and they, they make their decisions. So I think when I started talking to them, I just realized what the game was. I was like, okay, they want to see the real me. So I was like, I'm just going to be Jonathan. And, yeah. you know, I gave them me and they liked it and they picked me. And, and I realized that's what it's all about. When you speak, you can't be robotic. It can't be rehearsed. When I go do a seminar, 
I, it's very, I have a store, um, like a, an outline of what I'm going to teach, but I don't have like, you know, a script that I go off of. It's different every time I just mm-hmm. get up there and it just comes out. It's all the knowledge that I have. And it's like, I'm having a conversation with one person, but I'm having a conversation with, you know, two or 300 people in the room. And yeah. when you think of it that way and you realize it's really not that scary, it's just, it's what, you know, it makes it so much easier. And also relaxing for everybody watching because it seems so natural for you, you know, to talk, right. to talk in that way. And, you know, you bring them in and it's, you know, it becomes like a communal and, and thing. It's, it's really good when I have people in the audience that are, you know, that, that you can do the banter. Oh, love that. that. When people ask you questions, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really great. I, I love speaking and, mm-hmm. and it's just been a, a, a really amazing part of my journey that, um, you know, teaching and being an educator is just something I never realized I would love, but it's, it's such a passion of mine now. Yeah. Yeah. And you're obviously, you're great at it. Now you're obviously, you're such a busy man. You've got obviously loads of judging appointments, seminars to conduct, as we said, you're traveling here, there and everywhere to shows. I know you're away this coming weekend as well. You've got, you're trimming clients to maintain as well, because you're still actually a working groomer as well, aren't you? Now, how do you juggle it all? Like, how do you stay above water with all that? Oh, you know, <laughs> it's so funny because <laughs> yesterday I was with friends and we were talking about this and saying how hard it is to like shut off sometimes. Sometimes I even dream about work because mm. I've got so many different deadlines and so many different projects going at one time that I do find myself um, thinking about it when I should be kind of decompressing. But I think um, I thrive on that. You know, I just mm. I'm not someone who can sit down when I go on vacations I need a vacation from my vacation because I want to see everything where I go. I can't sit by a pool and drink a drink all day and just relax. To me, I'm wasting time. I think mm-hmm. like I could be doing so many other things at this moment. So yeah, I think you just have to be someone who thrives on that kind of um, busy schedule, which I love. But um, I have a huge calendar. Like it's a yearly um, calendar that I keep on the wall in my office and I keep all my trips on there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very organized with my travel. And I have, I have the same look. I just spin that's around. Exactly <laughs> what I have. Yeah. And you have to, because, you know, a quick look at the schedule and you don't overbook, you don't overlap things. Um, I keep my travel organized in my, in my phone with my flights and my hotels. And I'm, I'm like one of those people who makes lists and checks boxes to make sure I pack Oh my gosh, I am a lister. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, thank God I'm like that because that's how I'm able to keep it all together. But I will tell you that sometimes I'm also one of those people who works really well under pressure. So oh my I goodness, tend to yes. leave things for the last minute. Yes. That's me. You know? That's me. Yeah. Especially like, cause I write two different articles for groomer to groomer magazine, which is our industry magazine here. And, mm-hmm. um, sometimes like, it's like, two days before it's due and I sit down and I've done my research and I just start typing. And it just, when I know I have a deadline, sometimes that's when my best stuff comes out rather than when I pre-plan. Exactly. The same with me. I've always been that sort of person as well. Like I, even when I remember when I was at school, you know, I'd never do my homework. I'd always be doing my homework on the school bus on the way, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, uh, it's just the way I, I am an organized person. I think you have to be organized if you're going to be super busy, but yeah, mm-hmm. definitely under pressure works for some people. Yeah. That, I, and, and honestly, I, 
it, it's funny because I was just telling this this story in a, in one of my seminars at a, at a recent show mm. during the whole COVID you know pandemic and you know which is still going on here, but and I, I don't know how it is there, but you know we're we still have a lot of restrictions in certain places, and so shows have just began for us. Mm. And for a while there, I kind of almost thought maybe I was losing my, maybe I didn't want to be a groomer anymore. Like, not that I was really going to quit grooming, but I just, I wasn't feeling fulfilled. And I was feeling kind of in a rut doing the same thing every day. And uh, going back to the shows made me realize that it was not that I don't love grooming or that I want to change careers or anything like that. It was just that being away from my grooming family Mm. for so long, seeing all those faces that come to my classes, seeing all my colleagues, that's a huge part of my career that I think yeah. just inspires me. That's you know, what that gives you your drive then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time I get to a show, packing is, you know, I hate packing. And every time <laughs> I go to pack, I leave that for the last minute too. And then I'm like, oh God, why do I travel <laughs> so much? And then I get to the show and it's just an incredible, you know, weekend of fun and teaching and meeting people. And so uh, I, I think, you know, that that's made me realize that the shows give me inspiration, too. So that's another, you know, way that I keep it together is because mm. I look forward to to going and seeing everyone and, and doing the shows. It's just it's so great. It's just such a great experience to be around, you know, the people you like. Hello, do- dog people. I think I think yeah. if anybody's lost their spark or their sparkle for it, I always say go to a show or a new seminar or, or you know, yeah. a confirmation show, for instance, and there'll be something there that will just spark your interest again. Especially if you're a groomer who gets, you know, I mean, I have the same, I'm mobile now. And, and so, you know, I get, I get into this rut where I see the same clients over and over. And sometimes it's, you know, snap on comb on the body, scissor legs, round face, snap on comb, scissor legs. <laughs> Autopilot. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. It, yeah, sometimes it's uninspiring. But when you go to a show and I get to do breeds that I don't normally see on a regular basis, or I get to teach techniques to people and I see that light bulb go off in somebody's head when they get it, it's like, oh yeah, that that's why I'm doing this. That's yeah. it. I love it because um, when I do one, um, I do a lot of webinars at the moment, obviously, because of the situation and I'll get loads of messages afterwards where they've been able to use the techniques or the way that I've explained something has made something so much clearer mm-hmm. and then I'll get all this lovely feedback and that makes it all worthwhile. I'm sure you get the same. Yes, exactly. And then that's all, that's all I need. That's yeah. all I need. I that knowing that they got it uh, when I, I won an award for um, judge of the year for a Barkley honor award. And when I got up to the stage, I'm so comfortable speaking, but for some reason I got in front of that microphone to, to accept this award and I could feel the emotion like choking up inside me. And all I was able to get out was, you know, when I judge, I give an honest critique and this tells me that you get it. Thank you. And I started to walk off the stage because that was it, because it meant so much to me because that award just tells me you do get it. What I'm teaching you, you get it. When, when I give you a critique, you get what I'm saying. And I appreciate the acknowledgement. That's all I need. I just need you yeah. to know. I need to know that you get it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I, I think that as well, giving people straightforward critique is, you know, it, it's brilliant. And there's some dog people, especially like some old school show folk, you get nothing better than that harsh critique, that kick up your bum that's really sent me on my straight and narrow as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Now, obviously, I've followed your journey, and you were salon-based, 
pre-pandemic, weren't you? And then that hit and you decided to just do a a Yui, a left-hand turn and go mobile. So how are you finding the change? Are you enjoying it? Uh, I love it. I honestly wish I had done it 13 years ago when I relocated to Florida. It's it's less stressful though, right? It It must be. I had a really big salon. I know your salon was beautiful. It was, it was a beautiful retail store, very modern. We mm-hmm. were grooming 40 to 50 dogs per day, you know, 10 different employees. Um, mm-hmm. And it just was, it becomes, it, it operates like a machine, you know, and it just runs. And sometimes it just, it runs over you, you know, and you just <laughs> get so, so drained. And, and I, it, it was, it was a, a labor of love, mm. but at the same time, it was extremely stressful. And, you know, we, we, we chose to close because we were shut down for a significant, significant amount of time in Florida. And when we reopened, unfortunately, our retail business just was really not going to come back the way it was. And it was in a very expensive plaza in a very well, well to do area. Mm -hmm. So we had bought the grooming van as a way to expand our business just a few months prior. So it sort of just worked out. But uh, we made the decision to close down the store, and I just went complete mobile. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I wish I, I wish I had just done it from the get-go because the overhead is so much lower. I yeah. got rid of all of the clients I didn't like. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> got Touché. rid of all. Good yeah, idea. Exactly. You, you keep the nice people, the nice dogs, make your life a little easier. Um, and you, mobile, Do you just do smaller dogs now? I only do small dogs yeah. now. And I, the, with the exception, I have one full coated cocker who I've been grooming his whole life and I will never, you know, mm-hmm. you know, never go away from him because he's like my buddy. And then I have a family with seven um, show springers. And so I go and I do them all in one day. And it's, it's a, it's a hard day to do seven springers, hand strips <sighs> in the, in the van, me and my assistant, we have, I have, oh, okay. yeah, but, um, yeah, the rest are all small. And and in our area, I don't know how it is for you guys over there, but mobiles over here in general make about $30 more per grooming than the because average. Because it's, it's, you know, it's an amazing service being able to sit at right. home and have you come to them. Right. And I'm in, I happen to also be in an extremely affluent area mm. that I service. So my prices were already high in my salon to begin with to, you know, to match the area and, and my rent, which was astronomical at the time. But, um, you know, so for me, it's been a, a very beneficial transition. And the part about it that I love the most though, is for 13 years, I had that salon and I was in these four walls every yeah. day, every mm-hmm. day. I never saw anything else. And now sometimes I'm by the beach. Sometimes I'm you oh, know, in yeah. clubs, sometimes you know, I see all different things. I was grooming a dog one day, you know, and I saw like uh, all these beautiful like parrots. They were like in the tree next to me. And they, you know, we have, we have a lot of parrots down here that have in Florida that are escape pets that have colonized and they fly around. And amazing, you know, I, I see like the waves crashing and I'm like, God, I can't believe that I was cooped oh, up. Jonathan, and- can I have a job? <laughs> It's just, it really is. You, I look out my little glass window sometimes and I'm just like, God, I'm so, so much. You see the world or you're seeing your, you know, your county a bit more. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, to answer your question, I'm very happy with, with the transition. I have no regrets whatsoever. Mm. All of my groomers who worked for me, 
I have helped them in their new endeavors. They've all gone out on their own, you know, doing brilliant, doing their own thing now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I still see them and we get together and I still um, help them. In fact, one of them has a, a, a show poodle coming in a standard in a continental and she's a little nervous to groom the dog. So she scheduled it on a day that I'm off so that I can go there and help her do it. And I, I love doing that because they'll always be, you know, when they compete and stuff like that, they're still going to be my groomers, even yeah. though they don't work for me anymore. They're still yeah. my, my babies, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I totally get that. Now, obviously, yeah. having judged so many competitions nationally and internationally, what is it that makes somebody stand out for you from the crowd? What are you, what are you um, looking for? So... I'm, I'm, when I judge, I'm pretty quick with my decision. And mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of um, the show promoters say they love when I'm judging. Absolutely, because oh, I've stood there before with my dog. Like, I still need to stack my dog. Are we yeah. done? No, we're not done. We're not done. We're not carry on standing there. <laughs> the, the thing is, is like from about halfway on, you can kind of narrow it down to a handful of people that you really think you have to go over. And sometimes that changes when you get a comb through the dog. But Generally, you kind of know who you've got your eye on. But we have this saying here in, in the U.S. I don't know if you have it there. The devil okay. is in the details. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and for me, that's what it's about. Technical is very, very important to me. So, obviously, a beautiful profile and a nice-looking dog is going to get my attention. Mm-hmm. But when I get up on that dog, it's the details. And it can come down to splitting hairs for me because especially sure. when, I'm, when I'm judging open division, or division A, we call it. Um, yeah. You know, I think if, if if I can see scissor marks, if I can see clipper marks, you know, you should have seen those. And I knock off, you know, points for that because mm. in division A, it should be the best of the best. That's mm. my opinion. So it's the the technical is what it always comes down to for me when I have a lot of great profiles. And sometimes in my head, I have to think to myself, Mm, between first and second, which, you know, this one has this wrong, this one has that wrong, which one is an easier fix? And whichever one, if it's a snip of one hair and that makes it perfect, obviously that person's going to place a little bit mm-hmm. higher than the other yeah. person. So, yeah. You know, I'm a very detail-oriented, technical judge. Yeah, that's good. I, I know, obviously, with having competed myself for many years, I think I've competed for 11 years now. Although I've taken a step back of late, but um, you get so many different types of judging styles. Some people will just sort of look at your dog and tickle it with a comb. And then there's other judges I know who will literally go through your dog with a fine, like almost like a flea comb, just looking mm-hmm. at the pads for any tiny little hair, you know, really just doing the detail work as well. But, you know, when, when you when that happens, I mean, there are some judges who do that all the time, right from yeah. the get go. The only time I really get that way is when I'm having a tough decision deciding between two amazing people for first and second. It's like, how do I weigh the odds? Trying to, trying to pull you, out a hair. <laughs> you do. You have to get in there with those with that fine tooth comb and look. You have right to in the armpits. For a is there yeah. anything in there? <laughs> yes, and and you know, but I mean, some you know, sometimes I'm just flabbergasted at the, the amount of of amazing work I see in the ring. And then sometimes you have a clear winner. It's just, it's mm-hmm. so funny how it works out that way, but sometimes yeah. you just have a clear winner and you're like, I, yep, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many amazing, amazing groomers uh, in America and well, all over in the UK as well. It's uh, I think it's getting a tougher job for you guys for sure. <laughs> it is, but you know, the most amazing 
is, is going to an international competition and seeing when you get to see all the different perspectives mm-hmm. from all the different countries, you know, when you go to like a world competition yeah, and seeing all the different, um, you know, styles, you know, you, somebody up doing a Bichon American version yes. versus an Italian version versus the UK. And there's subtle differences, but they're all beautiful. And it's like, wow, I, I never thought to put yeah. that contour that way. And, and it's just, it, it helps you to really develop a really keen eye for style when you expose yourself to all those different styles from all the different countries. Yeah. Are you going to Barcelona in November? Not this year, but I hope to go to the worlds in Romania next year. Yeah. 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 I think I'm, I'm, I'm booked to go. So yeah, I just need I've to, never I've, been to Romania. So I, I, it's a show on my bucket list. And now that the worlds are going to be there, I thought, hmm, maybe, yeah. maybe we'll just pop up there. <laughs> <laughs> now, we all, we, we all know that as the years pass, we've, we've chatted about how styles change, styling changes, trends change, and also even like breed standard trims that kind of get tweaked, don't they, uh, over the years. So how do you stay up to the minute of, you know, what, what's hot and happening? Um, thank God for social media. You know, because we can see grooms from all over the world. And I think that is groomers today have that tool that, you know, I didn't have even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we didn't have Instagram and you yeah. know, Twitter and, and things. Where when you I started out, there weren't all these amazing groups that you can go on and ask for advice exactly. or there wasn't any of that. So, you know, I follow a lot of different um, groomers from around the world Um and when I come across someone who does something really interesting or unique, I like to follow them. So I think social media is definitely a huge help in doing that. Um, going to the shows, absolutely. Thank God I work with um, you know a company that takes me to the shows and I'm able to go to the majority of them because I do see the styles change. Because a lot of our groomers that are competing are also in the show world. And as trends change in the confirmation ring... Mm. They carry over into the grooming world. I mean, you know, Bichon's when I, I've been grooming, you know, oh God, I've been grooming 33 years. Um, but when I started, Bichon's had this really sort of bell-shaped head. Bell. It was, it was a bell reality. head, wasn't it? Like, yes. yeah. Now the chin has gotten so short and the circle has gone around higher on the head and, and it, it's more of a circle now. And it's, mm. which I think is absolutely beautiful and, and, but it's not quite the bell shape it used to be. There's still, it's not quite a circle, but some of them are, you know, it, it, and it just depends on the dog or the handler. Or It takes one person in the ring to change the grooming a little and they win. And win, yeah. And suddenly all it's of the thing. handlers are doing yeah. it and then all the groomers are doing it. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, going to dog shows, going to grooming shows and, you know, staying on social media and being part of, of your grooming community and really interacting is so key to staying on top of what's yeah. going on in the grooming world and um, and being able to relay that to other groomers, especially as an educator. That's very important for me because I want to be able to learn those new things. I, I, I'm always learning. I don't mm-hmm. think you ever stop learning. Yeah. Even as an educator, you still learn. In fact, I just am in the midst of taking um, a skin course because I want to learn more in depth about skin because we have huge skin issues here in Florida. And I know a lot, but I, this is an actual veterinary course. And I just, I want to learn more and learn as much as I can. So when I teach, I'm not just teaching, 
uh, you know, a little bit of knowledge. I want you to completely understand. Yeah. So when someone puts their hands up and asks you, you know, is it the humidity and you know, what's it causing? You can be like, boom. Exactly. Have all this knowledge. That's right. I'm just going to throw it all at you. Are you ready? (laughs) But yeah, I I just think in today's world, you know, social media um, is, is such a vital role in so Mm. many things in our life, but for educating yourself about constant trends and styles, you've got to follow grooming from yeah. all over the world. If I'm sat on the safe with my husband, if I've got on my mom, I'm on my phone scrolling, for instance, he'll say, yeah, um, uh, let me guess what you're looking at. And he'll glance over dogs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. What else would it be? <laughs> oh, you think self looking, I'm not looking at hot men. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, look at the paws on this baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you as well. Have you been to Crufts in the UK? I have never been and I would love to go. Because that's one amazing show where, confirmation show, where we'll see, I'm normally obviously around the poodle ring, that we'll see all these amazing stylists from Russia and all over coming. And then, you know, we'll be like, oh, that dog, yeah. it looks fantastic. And yeah. Well, you know, you were saying. as we're talking about style, because in, in the U.S., we're very much like on poodles, for example. For us, we're taught it's all about parallel lines, parallel lines on the front legs, not too much flair. Don't over stylize. Don't over exaggerate. Whereas the European styles and especially some of the countries like some of the Italian poodles, they have these tiny little rears and these huge flared legs, which I happen to think it's gorgeous i appreciate that and Mm -hmm. it's funny because competitors who compete here they will tell me oh i know that under this judge i have to do you know more american style but when i compete under you i can get away with adding a little more flair and i'm like absolutely it's actually a hot tip know your judges you know if you're if you're doing a grooming competition have a look at your judges find out what they like to play things like that because they'll have their preference even if if they're like you were saying, if you've got two beautifully groomed poodles, we'll take poodles, for instance, in front of you, and one is in your parallel lines, and one is, you know, more, more sort of ex- ex- accentuated um, angles and things like that, and you know that that's what they like, then that's, you know, that's what you would do, right? You know, um, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got about grooming poodles, and this was from, I'm not going to botch her name because I cannot pronounce it, but Kitty D from Belgium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, from trans from trans yeah. room yeah. yeah okay so she was judging dear, dear skater i think dear, dear skater De- yeah something like deeker's uh, eater okay we'll just skater. we'll cut that bit out if we're wrong <laughs> kitty d from belgium yeah um, yeah she, she's judged me a few times and I, and i think she's amazing and and she judged me and she came to me at the end of the class and she said your poodle is very beautiful but i can make it so much sexier and she said come to my class with your poodle and I'll re-scissor your dog for you mm-hmm. and show you what you can do. And this was, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get like this, this amazing, you know, free lesson with Kitty. So I went to her class with my black standard poodle and she re-scissored the neckline and put contours in the body. And what she said to me was, groomers are like the super, I mean, uh, poodles are the supermodels of the dog world, right? She said, they're not the football players. You know, they're yeah. more, they're more the, the, the models. So she says, when you groom a poodle, think of a sexy woman. And when I thought of that, which I had never thought of it in those terms, but 
women have curves. Yeah. You know? And I, so she said, contour the neck, you know, create a bust, which is. He's the, doing sensual lines over his body right now. <laughs> yeah. You can't see me. Um, putting in the spring of the rib and putting in the contour in the waist. And when I, it completely changed the way that I groom all dogs because mm-hmm. then something went off in my head with all of the contours and creating, creating depth so that yeah. when you move around the dog, yeah. when you move around the grooming table, you see the flowing lines and you mm-hmm. see the waist and the spring of rib and it goes over the hips and it just completely changed the way that I visualize my yeah. groom. There's a, somebody who changed for me, Poodle Grooming was, um, do you know Anders Russell? Uh-huh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I did um, a workshop with Anders. It was a handling and trimming workshop and I was trimming with him and he said, when you're trimming a poodle, don't just look at it. You know, you're trimming it, you know, looking onto it like this, but you want to, when you're trimming as if you're sort of going round a clock and just gently just look at it from a slightly different angle. Now, can you see curves from that angle? Because when you're, you know, when you're moving around the dog, you want to be able to see those sort of those angles and those shapes, like very much like what you're saying from every viewpoint, because the judge might not want to just look at it square on. They might be looking at like two o'clock, four o'clock, you know, and you want to show that beautiful shape and silhouette from all angles. Right. And you've got to groom like that, like just getting your eye all around the dog. That brings up another point is you have to make sure that what you do on one side is exactly the same on the other side. Yes. (laughs) And that sometimes I see a beautiful left side of the dog and I'm like, wow. And then you get to the right side and you go, huh. Um, Yeah. We all have a good side, right? I have a good side and I've got a bad side. (laughs) So, yeah. So it it really, you know, that you walk around your dog, see those, see those sexy angles and, you know, (laughs) it changes the way that you, that you visualize it. So. Yeah. yeah, hot tip. That's great. Now let's talk shears. Uh, you've obviously worked with Kenchi for a long, long time now. Um, I've even seen you uh, maybe like eight years ago, maybe even longer, actually. Uh, in the UK, you were on a Kenchi stand as well. Yes. You've been over here with them, haven't you? Uh, obviously, the scissor market is more and more crowded now, isn't it? So when someone asks you for your recommendation on a pair of shears, what do you advise them to look for? And uh, you've also brought out your brand new seven-inch version of your amazing Kenchi Lightning scissors. So tell me more about them as well and how they came to, to be. Um, okay, so I've been working with Kenchi for eight years now. Um, it's been a partnership that I I could have never dreamed of it's it's funny how it came about i was doing a seminar at the atlanta pet fair on poodles and at the end of the class i said does anybody have any questions and everybody asked me about the shears and not one question about poodle grooming just what are you <laughs> yeah so the class let out and everyone you know, went out of the class i packed up my stuff and i walked past the kenshi booth and i see my entire class is like five people deep around the booth buying and I'm standing there listening and they're buying everything that I had just recommended. And I went up to him and I said, Hey, all these people, they're here because of me, (laughs) you should hire me. (laughs) And he did. (laughs) Amazing. um, He had me come to a show and work with them. And he said, you know, this is great. We really like you. Can you work at the rest of the shows this year? So I started out doing demos at the booth with them and, and learning about shears and, um, then I, uh, they approached me about doing a line with them and eight years later, you know, I'm, I'm their brand ambassador and I've learned so much about shears and my, my, 
my favorite shears, like if people ask me what they should go for, you know, obviously, you know, I work with Kenshi and I only use Kenshi at this point and it's, I don't yeah. use their stuff because I work with them. I work with them because I was a Kenshi customer for so many years. That's what I used when I was a competitor and I did so much winning with them. So I really stand behind the company and their brand and I know that they're quality tools. So what I tell people is whether it's Kenchi or Artero or Gibe, whatever brand it is that you have your preference for, learn about shears, learn what the terminology is, learn about the edges, learn a little bit about the metals so that you understand why this shear might be you know, $50 and the next year might be $500. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I put together a seminar called Scissors 101 that I do here at the shows in the U.S. And I actually did one over at um, a Christie's show in the U.K. And it's basically, it's a PowerPoint presentation and it's all about the different handles, the different edges, the type of assemblies, because not all shears are made equal. You know, different teeth on thinning shears are going to perform differently. So when it comes to recommending a shear, I really have to ask questions to them then before I can recommend yeah. it. Because it's like it? a tailored product, isn't it? Right. What is it that you're grooming? Are you grooming Maltese or are you scissoring poodles? Are you doing big dogs or only small dogs? Do you want a seven inch shear or a nine and a half inch shear? You know, do you like offset or even handle? What is, you know, so once you start getting into it, And people start to realize when I'm at the shows, they get this glazed over look in their eyes, like, what is he talking about? And I realize (laughs) terms we never learn in grooming school or we never learn as an apprentice. Mm -hmm. And so it's become part of my mission to educate about scissors. I actually have a video on my YouTube page um, called, um, it's just basically an education about scissors. So, you know, if they just look me up on YouTube, Jonathan David, they'll find this video and it's just an education about scissors. Um, I just, I, I think all I can tell people is choose the edge that you like. My preference is a semi-convex because it's a workhorse. It can do, you know, carving and finishing. I can mm-hmm. serve my convex shears primarily at, for finish work. I don't use anything less than an eight inch personally, but you know, I have big hands and I do small to medium dogs. I don't need the nine and a half inch shears anymore. I use them primarily when I do Bichon heads and things like that. I do a few standards like for fun, but, um, you know, I, I, I can't tell anybody what they need to buy. I can only tell them the tools and the terminology and the education about it so they can make informed decisions. And I always tell people go to the shows where you can pick them up and feel them and get a sense of what they, what the weight is. And is it more weighted in the handle or more weighted in the blade? Is it going to feel too heavy for you? So at at Kenji, when we do shows, we put all of our scissors, every single model we sell is on a magnet. So you can pick it up off the board, feel it, see if it fits your hand. And then I can guide you from that point. Um, But, you know, there's not just one scissor for everything. I mean, I have about 60 pairs of shears. Um, I don't use all 60 every day, obviously, but I have my favorites. But I I do pull out certain shears for certain tasks. I'm like, oh, you know what? I need... I need that the Kenshi with the green dial and I'll tell my assistant, go into the third drawer and get me the, the scissor with the green knob. And, you know, and sometimes so I, you, you'll have put one, you'll have sort of put one on drawer number four and forgotten about it, get it back out. And it's your new, like, Oh, I, I love this again. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, sometimes I pull them out and I'm like, God, I forgot how much I like this. Yeah. And then that becomes my scissor of the week. Yeah, exactly. I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, um, after grooming school, 
because obviously uh, the grooming school I went to, we kind of got a set of scissors. They were they were Kenchi actually. They were I can't remember what they were called now, but they gave us Kenchi scissors when we were training. And then mm. after that, my first pair of scissors that I bought with my grooming money was a pair of Kenchi Lotus scissors. Oh, you went you went for the Mercedes of, of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> I was like you at your first grooming competition. I was like, I'm going to win with these. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are. Lotus are nice, though. I love them. Yeah, I've still got them, obviously. And um, although I'll tell you a story, my uh, husband now, who was then my boyfriend, came to my little salon to do some like DIY jobs. You know, he's trying to charm me, and uh, I needed like something tightening, like a crosshead screwdriver. And he couldn't find any and he didn't understand about anything. So he picked up my Kenchi Lotus scissors to use the end as the 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 screwdriver. (laughs) Oh, no. He did. And he chipped them. Oh, my God. And you're still married? No. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm married. I wasn't married at the time. I actually married him after that. Oh, he's a lucky man. He doesn't know the the trouble he caused. (laughs) I know, right? It's crazy. So, but luckily, my sharpener managed to. I think I lost a lot of blade, but I managed to sharpen it out. What a nightmare! I know. My God, that's that's a horror. I, my, I, I'm <laughs> over here. My face. I must have been white as a ghost. Um, yeah. But it's so true what you were saying about scissors, though, because you know you don't learn about that stuff at grooming school, and I've only sort of known about it through reading and picking up bits you know from and that that uh christie seminar you think i think i attended that and uh, you pick up all this terminology along the way and i do think it's important that people know because you'll see a lot of groomers using a finishing scissor to trim like a cocker spaniel and you know just not using the most effective tool for the job but also you know putting a lot of hard wear and tear on a scissor because they're not using the right scissor for the right job right. so it's also about you know understanding you know, no, you need your bulk, you know, your big heavy duty workhorse scissor for, for that. And, you know, and this right. type of thinner or blender and why, and yeah. Well, you know, I mean, if you're going to invest in, in a very expensive pair of shears that's made of high quality metal and has your finest, sharpest edge, you reserve it for, you know, a clean dog that's already been carved and you're trying to get that really winning edge kind of a finish as opposed mm. to, you know, you're not going to cut through a matted, you know, mats on the ears with your your best shear and dull. Or go around, yeah, or, or chop around, you know, the feet if they've still got those, like yeah. a terrier where they've still got those gritty knots yeah. and things and in then between you, the you toes. Know, you catch a nail with it and, you know, yeah. you're, you're, those poor shears. It, it's when I do my class about scissors, I always tell people, you know, you if you go out and you get yourself a brand new, you know, Mercedes Benz and you have the option of keeping it in the garage and having somebody come and wash it every week and take really good care of it. Mm-hmm. Or you can park it outside under a tree where the birds roost at night and they're going to poop all over it. And then you're going to leave it out in the hailstorm. <laughs> Which option are you going to choose? Obviously, yeah. you're going to put it in the garage and have it cleaned every week. Mm-hmm. So do the same with your priceless scissors. Mm-hmm. Keep them in their little case. Keep them in their sleeve. Keep them clean. Get them sharpened by somebody who knows what they're doing. I've had my Shinobis, which are a Kenshi line. That was my competition shear. I've had them now 13 years. Yeah. And they still have a lot of life left in them. If you buy the, the, only, the best advice I can give any groomer, don't waste your money on the, the crappy shears because you're going to spend so They're going to collect dust, aren't they? Yeah. And you're going to sharpen them a lot and you're going to end up replacing them 
in the long run. But if you get high quality shears, even if it means saving up your tips and buying one pair per year, get yourself a great straight, a great curved, a great thinner, a great blender, mm-hmm. and then you'll have them for your whole career and get yourself two sets, one for going out sharpening while you have another one at home and you can swap them out. That's yeah. all you need. You'll have mm-hmm. everything covered. You'll have your scissors. Take good care of them. You don't have to keep reinvesting in them. Yeah, exactly. Good advice. Now, thinking about the Jonathan away from the shears, when you aren't working, what makes you happy? What can we find you doing in your downtime? Um, I love the ocean. So I was actually out on a boat all day yesterday. Um, I like boating. I have a wave runner. So I'm out on the water almost every weekend. Wow. Um, doing, doing something, even if it's just taking a ride on the water, but sometimes we go out I don't have a boat. That's my dream, but we rent them down here in Florida. It's very, it's very affordable to rent boats if you do it with a group of friends. Yeah. And we go to the sandbar and we, I love the sun. I love the beach. I love the sand. I love the water. I actually feel a little bit sick. You know, I live in in North Yorkshire in the North of England. Oh yeah. You get like two weeks of summer. (laughs) Oh, well. Living the dream. I did not grow up here. I grew up in the north of the United States where we had long winters, you know, mm-hmm. snow. I, if I never see snow again in my life, I will die. A very happy snowed day. out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when I'm not, when I'm not working and I'm not traveling, I am probably either at the beach or floating on the water somewhere. Oh, amazing. That's just, that's the dream. Now, my last question to you, obviously it's boasting time. I love to ask everybody this question. So what are your standout, most proudest moments for you? Oh gosh, there've been, there've been a few that have really, really moved me. Mm. Um, probably one of the most proudest moments was, so I'm a Nash, uh, a Nash graduate. Um, Nash Academy is a grooming school here. And the, the original owner was Johnny Nash, who he passed away from cancer many years ago, uh, survived by his wife, Vivian. And I went to their grooming school and they have always been I don't know why they just always really liked me from the time I was a 19 year old, um, 18 year old guy going to their grooming school. Um, they've always been very, very nice to me and always sort of, they got me my first job in New York when I moved to New York and they've always just been there in my corner. Mm -hmm. And so as my career advanced, um, and I decided I wanted to go into judging, um, Johnny had passed and Vivian was now running, IJA, which is called International Judges Association, an organization here in the U.S., and she gave me my very first judging assignment. And um, after I I did that judging assignment with her, she took me over to China with her to do um, judging for students that were graduating from grooming school. They had to compete. And not only were they competing, but they were also trying to pass their certification. And I got to do that certification with Vivian, the woman whose school I went to. And so for me, that was one of my proudest moments to be, to go from. To to be asked to go there and also alongside her. Yeah. Beside her judging with her and her actually listening to my opinion and wanting Mm -hmm. my opinion was, it was surreal. I thought, I can't believe this is actually happening. And actually I have a photograph that someone had taken from that, that event in China. It was at a SIPS show in China which is a huge international trade show. And there's a picture of she and I discussing a grooming and we're sitting there and I have this pencil sort of pointed against my chin 
and I have this space where you can just tell we're intensely, you know, discussing something. And someone snapped a photo of that. And I, I have that photo and it's just, Lovely. it's a cherished moment in my life because mm-hmm. um, she is just a pioneer in this industry and to have been her student and then her colleague was the sort of that's really lovely that's yeah that's so special that's so nice now then we're gonna change gear in this episode's breed focus we are talking about the beaver terrier this is a little known yorkie hybrid it was created through the occurrence of a recessive piebald gene in two yorkies i think by mr and mrs beaver um it's actually spelled b-i-e-w-e-r they are distinguished by their tricolor and very sleek silky coat this charming, fun-loving terrier apparently makes a really loyal and joyous family member. But what they actually like to live with, Jonathan, because I don't actually know anything about this breed. Tell me more, because they're relatively new, aren't they? Um, they are new. They, the very first known one was born to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver in 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that dog was named Schneeflocking. Schneeflocking. Oh, wow. um, the breed, I discovered the breed in... Right around 2000, um, I was looking for a Yorkshire Terrier, Mm -hmm. and I came across a photo of of a Beaver Terrier, which looks just like a Yorkie, except they are tricolor, white muzzle, tan points, black and white pattern on the body. And I thought, what is this breed that I've never heard of? Why don't I know this? I know all the breeds. So I did some research, and I was stunned when I did a Google search, and all this information came up, and I thought how did I miss this boat? You know? (laughs) And I got on the phone with the president of the breed, the then president of the breed club. Mm -hmm. And she was so nice. She spent two hours on the phone telling me all about the breed. Oh, wow. And um, then I went to a local breeder's house to see them. I had no intention of getting a dog. And after spending an entire day with this woman, showing me pedigrees and DNA tests and all of this stuff about the breed, she said, which puppy do you want from this litter? And I said, oh, I, I don't have any. I didn't bring any money. I haven't. She said, just take a puppy. You can mail me a check. And I ended up coming home oh, with, wow. a, with my very first beaver terrier. So the breed is just probably – now, I know a lot of breeds. I've been into a lot of breeds in my life, but no mm-hmm. breed has captivated my heart like this breed. They are the sweetest, most charming, happy-go-lucky little toy breed I have ever encountered. Yeah, they said that they love everybody, strangers, everything. They are they are playful, they're affectionate, they're loyal, they're quiet, but they have a little bit of tenacity like a terrier, mm-hmm. but more not a, not a not like a Scotty terrier, you know, more no, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they chase the lizards in the yard or they'll carry a toy around in their mouth and they want to play fetch all the time, but they're also very much a lap dog and um I just, I really got into the breed. I just, I just, they captured my heart. When I got into the breed, we were not AKC accepted. Yeah. We I actually in- remember your post. Um, I don't know when it was, but I remember you posting that, you know, like we got it recognized by the American Kennel Club. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a very wild journey. So when I joined the club, the breed club, which was uh, called the Beaver Terrier Club of America, um, I learned about all the DNA studies they were doing and I became fascinated and I joined the board and I was a board member. And then they asked me to run for president of the club. Mm. So I ran and I got elected. And that's when we really went hard into getting AKC to really listen to us. And Mm. I used some of my contacts at the AKC and they, you know, they finally listened to us and they said, okay, 
you're not quite ready as a breed club, but we're going to guide you. And it was a, a one and a half year journey of setting up the right documents, making sure we had all of our pedigrees in order, making, mm-hmm. making sure, luckily we had our own registry uh, that we were operating. So we had all the requirements that AKC required as far as uh, data and history of breeding mm-hmm. programs. So we got into the breed. Um, AKC accepted us as into the miscellaneous group. And then just this past year, it was a uh, 20, 20, they went um, officially into the toy group. And this very first, uh, the Westminster of this year was the very first time they were in Westminster as a toy. They're actually the toy their group. own category. They're in the toy group. They are fully recognized and fully accepted. And it was, I know Mrs. Beaver would, would just be so elated to see this happen. It was always her dream to have the breed recognized. So Mm. as you said, they, you know, they were born to two Yorkies and the jury is still out as to whether it's actually a recessive piebald gene. Okay. Or if there was some other DNA introduced either intentionally or unintentionally by somebody somewhere Mm -hmm. because the DNA studies show that, there is something, and it's. I'm not going to get into the whole thing because it's very elaborate. Yeah. And you can find it on the Beaver Terrier Club's website, all mm-hmm. the information about it. But there is, on chromosome 20, there is a piece of DNA that the Beaver Terriers contain that don't exist in Yorkshire Terriers. Yes, that's. I was reading about this, and they had to do so many blood tests, didn't they, to prove Yes. to Mars Veterinary... Right. Um, to, to prove that, obviously, they were a breed in their own right. They weren't just so, a type of Yorkshire Terrier. Correct. So it's called a breed marker. Every breed yeah. has breed signature. There's distinct markers on the DNA that, that make it that breed. And with the Beaver Terriers, there's a part of that marker that just doesn't exist in Yorkshire Terriers. It's not found there. But there are other breeds that it's found in. So it's kind of like, did was there an oops breeding at some point? <laughs> you know, one of those Yorkies or both of those Yorkies were carrying this same gene. We'll never know. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver have both passed... The nice fluffy story is miraculously this yes. little side color puppy was born in a litter and it was just a little gift from heaven. But, you know, the science says yeah, somewhere something happened. So we don't know, but they're this breed that's here. They're here to stay. The neighbor's sneaky little Maltese is grinning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because their coat is, the texture is more like a Maltese, mm. but the structure is more of a Yorkshire Terrier. Right. They are sweet, happy-go-lucky, um, unique. They're taking the world by storm. They're so popular yeah. now. Um, yeah. Everybody's popping up with them, and we're seeing them in ads now and commercials. Oh, that's so great for the breed as well. Oh, Fabulous. it's just wonderful. It's yeah. wonderful. I, 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 we have a few people in the UK that are breeding them too. That's amazing. Well, I'm, I'm yet to green one, but maybe next time I see you. I can yeah. uh, proudly show you a picture of my first yeah. green beaver terrier. <laughs> Maybe you could be the first one to, to have a show beaver terrier in the UK. Oh God, I've been banned from more dogs. So Jonathan, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I think a divorce would be on the cards. <laughs> now at the end of episode 23, I'm going to finish off by asking Jonathan my really quick fire questions. So are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> so dog food of choice. Uh, any raw diet that is completely balanced. Yeah, balance is the key. Favorite place to walk? On the beach. Number of dogs under your reef? Currently only two. 
If you're a dog, what breed of dog would you be? Definitely a terrier because I'm very feisty. <laughs> and your favorite holiday destination? Uh, holiday destination, Costa Rica. It's the most nice. beautiful, natural place I've ever been. Wow. Your worst nightmare dog breed to own, what would it be? Uh, a Wheaton Terrier. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me and Jonathan. Jonathan can be found on Instagram at jonathandavid.petstylist. Obviously, make sure you check out his brand new lightning Kenchi scissors as well. Thank you to everybody for listening. And if we don't do anything else, please make sure you subscribe to Pod on the Dog. And if you have time, rate it as well, because that helps anybody else find it. A big thank you to Natural Instinct for sponsoring this episode. Make sure you check out their website and also bag yourself some of their naturally delicious dog treats as well. My dog's favorite is the chicken hearts. Mm, delicious. Now that's a bye from us. Bye.